This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Tradewinds reporter Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to talk about Washington's decarbonization money and why it isn't making its way to shipping. This week marks the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. Although pumping government money into the economy is not exactly the way to reduce inflation, this law unleashed $783 billion for energy and climate change investments. Here's U.S. President Joe Biden as he celebrated the anniversary of the law. The Inflation Reduction Act is giving people more breathing room, as my dad would say, and it's supercharging the economic transition in key ways. First, it's taking the most aggressive action ever on climate energy, ever. I've long said, and that's why I think all the unions have come along, I've long said, when I think climate, not a joke, I think jobs. I think jobs. The billions of dollars in spending in the Inflation Reduction Act followed an even bigger pile of money in the bipartisan infrastructure law, which also had clean energy investments. Over in the EU, Brussels has its emissions trading system and regulations capping the carbon intensity of fuels. But in Washington, regulation on carbon emissions isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's been more than a decade since the death of a proposal for a cap-and-trade system. And two years ago, The Atlantic published an obituary for the proposed carbon tax killed off by Biden's, quote, utter lack of interest. What has been able to get through Washington's divisions is pumping greenbacks into green energy. Though I should note, Congress has yet to come to an agreement to fund the government for the fiscal year that starts on October 1st. Even though Biden's chief climate envoy, John Kerry, frequently uses the international stage to push for decarbonization of shipping, so far, experts say little of the U.S. government's recent largesse when it comes to climate change funding has made its way into shipping. At least not yet. In fact, they say, shipping companies for the most part haven't even applied for the cash. Sean Pribble is a Washington, D.C.-based lawyer for Holland and Knight who focuses on maritime and energy matters. He says it's true. The Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, is part of an enormous pot of money that the U.S. federal government has made available for decarbonization at a time when the White House wants to include shipping in its climate efforts. The issue that we're finding is that when this was developed, there was not a clear vision of how to include maritime assets, maritime stakeholders into the IRA language. And what we found is it it gets near the the target of what the maritime um, ministry would need to access funds. Uh, But we're finding is we're just missing some key language um, since this was um, enacted in, in 2022. So his law firm, as well as the Blue Sky Maritime Coalition, have been working to convince Washington to tweak that language so that shipping can access the loans and grants under the Inflation Reduction Act. A big chunk of that law's cash is managed by the Department of Energy's Loan Program Office, and Pribble says the office does want to get funds to the shipping sector, but it doesn't have the maritime expertise that is found in agencies like the U.S. Maritime Administration, also known as MARAD. At this stage, the maritime companies that Pribble advises are combing through the Inflation Reduction Act to figure out what funding could apply to them. The possibilities include the Advanced Technology Vehicles Manufacturing Direct Loan Program, which could, for example, help build vessels to serve the offshore wind sector. Another is the Advanced Research Project Agency Energy, or ARPA-E, 
which can be spent on zero emissions technologies or biofuels. Stakeholders are looking at this. They're raising questions. They feel like they can get very near. There's a lot of interpretation. Well, can this fit? You know, is this too much, you know, round peg square hole uh, kind of idea? Or, um, you know, how do we fit this in? And what we're finding is we really need to help these agencies help themselves. So what's happening is these stakeholders are coming to a firm like ours. They're talking to our our experts in this space who can then take this to the relevant uh, points of contact at DOE and, and other agencies and explain to them, we need to get some changes here in this, this language. But U.S. shipping also wants clear guidance on what carbon rules it will be expected to follow. The International Maritime Organization, or IMO, recently adopted a goal of net zero by around 2050 for the shipping sector. And the Biden administration was in favor of even more ambitious interim targets than were adopted. But it will be up to the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, to implement new IMO rules in the U.S. For U.S. flagged ships that operate in the domestic trades protected by the Jones Act, knowing what the rules will be is key. Part of why we as an industry are looking to the government to provide standards is that that provides reliability for investment. So you, you have a goal that you're aiming for, you know what the standards are, then you can invest in that technology and business plans that that over the, the course of the life of the vessel, which in the US could be 30 or 50 years for you know some of these vessels, even Great Lake uh, vessels, you know, uh, trade even longer. So putting that technology in now, whether it's a new build or a retrofit, is really building for 30 years down the line, if if not more, for a, a Jones Act trade. The call from the industry is is to try to understand how these these international IMO regulations and standards are going to be implemented into the U.S. Kathy Metcalf is chief executive of the Chamber of Shipping of America, a group that represents ship owners that have a U.S. base of operations, so U.S. flag ship owners, but also international companies with a big footprint here. And when I reached out to her for this episode, she told me her group doesn't see the Inflation Reduction Act as a big source of funding. There's a $3 billion pot of money that the EPA will administer for green technology and ports, but much of that will be land-based. Elsewhere, Merit has a tiny budget for its Maritime Environmental and Technical Assistance Program, or META. The Biden administration has requested just $8.5 million for the next fiscal year for that program. The Department of Energy has an even bigger pile of cash for maritime decarbonization, but Metcalf said her organization's members are not sure what will be the fuel of the future in their trades. Some Jones Act ship owners have adopted LNG, but for other trades, will it be ammonia, methanol, or something else? At, at this point, none of my members that I'm aware of have sought to access those funds because a number of the members are still sitting there trying to figure out which way are we going to go. Now, we've got two members, Matson and Tote, have done a lot of, of uh, project work on LNG. Uh, and in fact, they've got operating vessels. Matson just took uh, ownership out of a shipyard of one of their new LNG container ships. So that technology and fuel development and availability, at least on what I'll call regular transit runs, they're comfortable enough to make that investment because they know they're going to have LNG at either end of their their run. Matson knows exactly where they're going. And, and obviously Tote does because they're doing Southeast U.S. coast into Puerto Rico and some of the islands. But what the problem a number of our member companies are trying to figure out, because 
it's hard to go after funds if you're not sure which fuel you think is going to service your, your trade patterns. But for Metcalf, it's not the U.S. that's going to lead the way on funding decarbonization for shipping. The IMO is currently working on policy tools to push shipping towards its net zero goal, and the measures under consideration include putting a price on carbon and potentially using those funds to pay for decarbonizing the industry. For global decarbonization, I think the IMO system is the only way to go. Unfortunately, when you get into the UN agencies, you have a lot more politics. And we've got enough politics at the national level. But it would be fairly easy to establish the method by which the collection is made, i.e. bunker levy, and whatever tiered fee per ton basis it would collect, would be pretty easy to develop an IMO fund secretariat, which they, they already have for some of the international liability funds. The hard part would be the politics involved in how you distribute those funds. The IMO is aiming to adopt its economic measures, which Metcalf hopes will come in the form of a bunker levy by 2026. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. The Green Seas newsletter explored the delays that are besetting the Panama Canal to see what they say about its future in a changing climate. Stephen Patton, the Panama City-based director of the Physical Monitoring Program at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, said the rainfall shortage that has led to restrictions at the canal are consistent with the predicted effects of climate change, which threaten even more variability in weather patterns in the country. The scariest thing is that some of the fundamental driving variables for, for climate are beginning to change because all, all models are based on the assumption that there's some variables that don't, they're not variables, they're constants. And when you start changing these constants, you begin to lose predictive power. And so we're going to have more variability and less ability to use the past as a guide into the future. My colleague Lucy Hine reported that Japanese shipping giant Mitsui OSK Lines has signed onto the Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization. MOL signed a five-year impact partnership agreement at a ceremony in Singapore. And the shipowner said decarbonization in the maritime industry needs an accelerating collaboration and increasing investment by shipping companies, their customers, ports, energy suppliers, and public sector actors. UK-based startup Core Power, which is aiming to use molten salt reactors to power ships, has recruited Scott Edwards, a nuclear expert with more than 30 years of experience in the transportation of radioactive materials. He will serve as Director of Regulatory Development. Music for this episode is by Crystal Squad from Toontank.